0: Stay on Sharp Scratch, you'll learn the art of gallows humour, when a dark joke is too dark, and why Alexa can't solve your health problems. You're listening to Sharp Scratch, episode 17, Gallows Humour. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we get med students, new doctors, and expert guests together in the studio to talk about all the things that you need to know to be a successful doctor, but that you probably won't learn at medical school. I'm Laura Nunes-Mulder, and I'm a fifth-year medical student at the University of Cambridge, and this is my final episode as the host of this podcast. So um, so let's make it a good one. That's really yeah? sad, isn't it? I'll be back as a guest, but it's with great joy. To let you know that i'll hand over the hosting role to anna harvey who's with me in the studio right now would you like to introduce yourself
1: yeah my name's anna and i'm a final year medical student at king's college london and also the editorial scholar at the bmj
0: this year super we've also got with us a sharp scratch regular declan murphy would you like to introduce yourself
2: hey i'm declan i'm an f1 up in the northeast i'm currently doing research at the moment about to start respiratory over the winter which will be interesting
1: mm, have you had your flu jab
2: no I've been right so I've been seeking my flu jab like um I do research so I can't get in the hospital so I've been emailing trying to get one on the weekends but no but I shall before I begin
0: good lad good lad and we're delighted to have with us the fantastic Benji Waterstones would you like to introduce yourself
3: hello yeah I'm Benji I'm a general adult psychiatrist and a stand-up comedian woohoo thanks for having me
0: So today we're talking all about gallows humour and the kind of banter, the kind of chat that goes on between medical professionals. And there's all kinds of things you can call it. We can call it dark humour, gallows humour, black humour. There's the, the sort of milder end of the spectrum, like camaraderie or slang or just having a joke around. But um, but it's, it's true, isn't it? Just like any other profession, when doctors get together, we use a different vocabulary, We talk about slightly different things we would do with other people. So Anna, do you notice a difference in how you talk to your medic friends compared to the other friends? Say if someone asks you, like, how was placement today? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think, like,
1: I'm quite lucky in the fact that um, a lot of my, like, family are kind of medical as well. So, like, my sister's just qualified as a nurse. Um, So, yeah, we definitely speak differently to each other than I would with just, like, friends who, you know, don't know about the hospital environment and stuff. But I feel sometimes feel a bit sorry for my boyfriend because like he's not a medic and um, yeah when me and my sister and like a few of our friends are like medics as well um, and he's just kind of sat there like <laughs> I don't know what's <laughs> going on um, so yeah I, th- I think it's definitely different.
0: Mm. I had a day recently on the wards where um, I texted you guys about it straight away because we've talked about it a lot before where I saw my first ever cardiac arrest and oh, I saw yeah. my first I ever CPR. I text you guys because we talked about it on this podcast mm. in episode four um, and if people ask me how my day was, if they weren't a medic, I was like, well, yeah, today I saw some CPR and then they went, oh, no, was that really tough? I was like, yeah, that's quite tough. But if, a, but if a medical person asked me, it'd be a bit more like, I saw a cardiac arrest. I can't believe I saw that. It was so different to what I expected. You know, like completely different way of talking about it than you would do with someone else. Does that, does that change much when you become a doctor?
2: Nah, um, I met up with my friends in Liverpool last weekend for a night out and we were in spoons just talking about, <laughs> <laughs> like, ridiculous, it's just weird the kind of stuff you talk about, like... I mean mainly kind of disgusting things that you've been forced to do as an F1 <laughs> and everyone around us if they actually listened to kind of the conversations we were having they'd be like what is wrong with these guys but you just kind of normalize disgusting things I think I mean
0: bodily fluids and, and slightly gross misunderstandings that's quite a lot of the substance of your comedy work isn't it
3: Mine not so <laughs> much I think you're thinking of Adam Kay there um, <laughs> I'm more interested in the minds, uh, being a psychiatrist. But yeah, I suppose people do tend to have a different language, don't they? Like uh, for their their medics or their non-medic mates. Um, I, I never really use the word banter, but yeah, I'd use humour with my with my medic friends. We mm. do often re- resort to that as opposed to cope with the some of the darker themes that mm. we come up across, like in in, in psychiatry themes, like. I don't know, suicide or homicide or schizophrenia or, or sectioning mm-hmm. or whatever it is um, and yeah I guess it's a coping mechanism isn't it mm-hmm.
0: um, I mean good. but the interesting thing about you is that in part of your work you put out some of the funnier anecdotes to the general public and you know in your in your sets do you have any pieces about that are about serious topics that you might be able to yeah, I think them. those
3: are my my best bits really mm-hmm. um, I see comedy as a, a really valuable vehicle for Helping people to think about the more serious things, like we, this episode's called. I think you said dark humor, and like I wouldn't necessarily say that my my humor is. I wouldn't say I'm a dark comic. You know, I think of dark you see comics. Seen
0: my whole thing from what I've spoken. Yeah, to so people so say my
3: like I'm generally quite a gentle. I think it's, it's the intention though is very important in comedy. Mm-hmm. Like dark comics, if you think of people like Frankie Boyle, mm-hmm. I think their mm-hmm. intention usually is to create discomfort yeah. or create a response. Whereas. My comedy is just about my life. My life happens to be as a psychiatrist, and within psychiatry, some of the themes society might think are are dark. But I don't think that makes my my humour dark. It's just mm. it's just my my experience of the world, really. And um, yeah, and I try to make those. I try to make them less taboo, you know. And I think that's the the, the value of comedy, because a punchline can really take the edge off the harshness of these. These themes mm. for people, helping to think about them a bit more.
0: Mm. I quite like that as a soundbite. That the comedy takes the harshness out of these. Of totally
3: things. disarms it, yeah. Mm. And before you know it, like people will get through the end of a show, they'll have heard heard you talk about, say, like things like, as I say, suicide or schizophrenia for like an hour, um, and they'll get to the end through the, through the punchlines, and afterwards they'll come and they say, "I can't believe I've just been listening to you talk about all this for so long. You would have never kept them in that room." it would it'd be a hard sell to get people to spend an hour with you on a friday or saturday night with no jokes in there yeah but um yeah it really yeah. really helps
0: so gallows humor or dark humor is really the sort of practical meat of what we're going to talk about today mm. you know what's okay what's not okay why do we need it if at all um so it's probably quite hard to pin down but we'll see how far we get um and to help us anna spoke to an emergency specialist who wrote an entire book on the topic
4: i did indeed
0: um, but mm. we'll listen to that right after this
4: How much do you care about indemnity right now? Probably not a lot. You're still a few years away from really worrying about claims and complaints from patients. But being part of medical protection is about a lot more than just indemnity. We can be there if something goes wrong, but we're also here to help make sure things go right too. We're the only medical defense organization that protects doctors all over the world. From London to Brisbane, Cork to Cape Town, 300,000 members benefit from our expert advice and support throughout their career. During your years at medical school, your membership is completely free. You'll get training resources that can help you become an even better doctor, plus a dedicated student team there for you when you need it most. And when it comes to your elective, you can trust in our international experience to protect you wherever you choose to go. It's no wonder that 90% of medical students in the UK choose to be part of medical protection. You can find out more at medicalprotection.org.
0: All right, back to the show. Let's dive straight in and hear from Brian Goldman.
5: I'm an emergency physician at Sinai Health System in Toronto, Canada. Uh, I am the host of a uh, radio show called White Coat Black Art on CBC Radio 1. Uh, it's a show that explores uh, the patient experience uh, in medical culture. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm also the author of three books. Uh, My latest book is The Power of Kindness, Why Empathy is Essential in Everyday Life, but the previous book was uh, The Secret Language of Doctors Cracking the Code of Hospital Slang. My introduction to medical slang and medical dark humor on a very personal level came one night when I was uh, when I'd worked uh, at the hospital for sick children. I'd been on call all night. It was my first night on call as a resident, you know, as a not as a medical student, but as a resident. And uh, my senior resident came in. This was this was happening at a very difficult time. Uh, on the cardiology floor, there were there was a, a, a rash of deaths, unexplained and unexpected deaths, and and I will never forget my senior resident, uh, Dr. George Rutherford III, and I, and I remember he came in that that morning. He must have seen a shell shocked look on my face. He put a friendly hand on my shoulder and he said, "Brian, how many did you box last night? You know, box as in place into caskets." Uh, like how many did you kill last night and and it took me ha- i was horrified and then for half a second then i saw the grin on his face and i and i laughed and that was my first personal introduction to dark humor and you know i i got into it because uh you know it was a way of coping and i and i you know i've been paying attention to the slang we use i love wit and a lot of the slang that, that, that doctors use is very witty and, and it's very dark because it's, it's, it's talking about patients who are in difficult situations and physicians and other healthcare providers in difficult situations. And this is a way, I guess, a way of coping. And, and as you've mentioned, it is a way of being initiated into the club. When you're given the slang... Uh, you're being entrusted you're a member of our club now and keep that language to yourself only speak it to people who are you know who who you trust uh, not to take it the wrong way and uh, be careful about it
0: have you heard any surprisingly dark one-liners on your on-call shifts Declan
2: actually haven't which is probably is it because no one talks to you. <laughs> which is probably quite disappointing for this podcast. I mean, I think it's interesting though because I imagine it was much more of a thing for kind of older doctors, but I do think kind of nowadays we we kind of have to be quite careful, um, and uh, it's probably not quite so prevalent. I think with new doctors coming in,
0: or is it just that you're not you're not that funny, oh, I've Declan? No, oh, I've got no friends. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, Benji, how about you? Do you remember your, your introduction to sort of the gallows mm. humour of the medical profession?
3: Ooh, um, I'm just trying to think about the last time. As a patient, actually, not long ago, I had an operation on my hand and um, I was kind of apprehensive before. I was having like a, I had like a, a nerve block and I think some Entonox. And before, just before it was happening, I said to the surgeon, like, how many times have you, have you done this loads here? And uh, wanting some reassurance. And he, and he kind of said... Oh, what I mean? I'm just filling in today. I'm I'm just a cleaner, uh, and at, the, at that time, like I found that really helpful. Really put me at ease. You yeah. know, it was very humbling, uh, but also gets, gave me a sense of kind of confidence in him. It was good for our relationship, and also I found it hilarious. I mean, it could have also been the the laughing gas, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's the last time I can remember a joke. But
0: so, why do you think it is such a common feature of? your working life if not Declan's
3: I wonder if it's because Declan um no 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 disrespect you're uh, early in your career right you were Mm -hmm. saying you've mainly been working in academia you've you've not done that many hours on the on the floor so I guess you haven't had the the contact or the tragedy or the the helplessness that I think is kind of the ingredients required for the humor to to be made that's what that's kind of why where it stems from isn't yeah. it is not Or well, maybe mm-hmm. don't
2: quite have the relationship to be honest yeah. with like the consultants and stuff so sure, sure. I guess yeah. they, the club, they yeah. wouldn't kind of know yeah in yeah. In the club, they, yeah they don't know how far they could kind of go with me I don't know sure. how far I could go with them Sure um, sure. but after months of knowing each other you kind of gauge that don't
3: you yeah and I wonder actually because you said you know you think it was, it's maybe a more of an old-fashioned phenomenon it perhaps is less prevalent now because you know the breakup of the firm model whereby you would mm. get to know your team over a much longer period of time our placements yeah. are very short now aren't they you yeah. know you're probably doing four <laughs> months and then you move on then you have to start over again so yeah i guess that would make sense as well mm. but it's important isn't it that you know who your audience is when you're cracking a joke mm. so i think there's something about that you need to know that they're gonna um they know who you are they know what your uh values are that it comes from a that you are not a monster, you know, Mm. that you are a good-hearted person. That's kind of important. Whereas if you don't have that then, entirely out of context, you could, it comes across as belittling or nasty or or whatever it is.
0: That's what Brian Goldman said about making sure that you trust the people that you're delivering it to Mm. and that, you know, they trust you as well, that there's this kind of, you know, being sure that people are in the know about where you come from and what, what you know, the background behind the humour. Of right? course, yeah. yeah,
2: definitely. I mean, even like I say, when I went to Liverpool and went out for drinks and stuff with the guys that I got on with from med school, like when we're all in a room having a few drinks, you know, kind of anything goes. But um, even other doctors or the med students, uh, I would probably be a bit more wary about like what I say. So I think it is definitely about like knowing the people well, mm. who you who you're with.
0: I mean, earlier, Benji, you mentioned that you know you feel like humour takes takes just the edge off how harsh some of the things that we deal with are. Sure. Do you think we could do without it? Do you think it's essential? Do you think it's important? Do you think we can do without it?
3: Um, some people do do without it, don't they? Some people <laughs> don't. Quite, have, quite a lot of people, <laughs> lot do. people <laughs> <laughs> do do without it. I guess, like, um, naming no names, but like, yeah. Personally, for me, you know, I. I think, you know, the workforce as it is in the NHS, I mean, every day there's no news stories about, you know, burnout and dropout and recruitment problems and broken NHS. I think if we lost the sense of humour, those numbers would just get even worse. Mm. And I think, you know, arguably it's the good humour that kind of cement gives people a sense of togetherness and Mm. keeps morale up and keeps people going. Yeah, the jobs where I've felt like I've been part of a team and we've been close and we've known each other and there's been this big good kind of humour that have been able to use, those have arguably been the jobs that I've enjoyed the most. So personally, I think it's a really valuable tool on an individual level, but yeah, we can talk about his wider uses later, yeah.
0: Mm. So Brian Goldman actually also has something to say about the the benefits mm. of Gallo's humour mm. in the medical profession. So let's hear from him now.
3: The
5: hidden curriculum is is the kind of gap between what you have to learn, from textbooks and and mentors and from uh, lectures and and, uh, clinical practicums on the ward and what you need to know to survive, Uh, what you need to know to to get along with your colleagues, not upstage them, not embarrass or humiliate them, uh, find your place in the pecking order and get along with the rest of the team. I think by definition, the fact that it's a hidden curriculum means it is taught by word of mouth. You know I think the only way you'll ever see official you know lectures about the secret language is is either to castigate the secret language or to try to analyze what it means within a given culture you know by culture I mean you know a group of uh, physicians you know say surgeons that are doing groundbreaking transplant surgery or you know uh, the culture of cardiovascular surgeons who are doing difficult heart procedures or the culture in the emergency department or the the intensive care unit, any any culture that is involved in intense work and uh, has sees a lot of um, uh, patients and families in emotional distress and has to deal with their own emotional distress. The more high tension, the more the need for the language, the more uh, a culture builds up to try to help people cope with it.
0: Benji, he kind of repeated some of the things that we were just talking about then, wasn't he? About, you know, the more high tension the more there is a need for humour, for a secret language and the more the culture builds up around it. Mm. But I just want to pick up on another thing that he said, um, actually I'm wondering what all three of you think, you know, he said that lectures about the secret language, as he calls it, you know, don't really teach us what it is, you know, that the, the way we pick it up is part of the hidden curriculum, it's not something that's overtly taught. Just the kind of stuff we love to talk about in this podcast, right? Yeah. But I mean, what what do you think? How do you pick it up? What, can you how, can we know what is what is okay, what's not okay?
1: Mm. I actually find this really challenging. Mm. Like, I don't consider myself to be a funny person. Same. Um, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <Same>. <laughs> <laughs> kidding, 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 kidding. And I think sometimes it is it's really difficult to judge. Mm. And like, particularly like what you were saying earlier, Declan, like when you don't know people very well, and I guess like. In medicine or at least I found when I've been at med school like you spend so much time like going around like you're with a different doctor every day and you you don't know how much of a relationship you can actually build with that person in, in a short sure period of time yeah. and you don't yeah.
2: I've you know. definitely came across the wrong way, I think, to some people. Oh, yeah. I, mean, yeah, my, so. I remember my GP tutor in, in fifth year. She, I ended up having a great relationship with her. But when we met at the end of my placement, she was like, when you first came in, I thought you were kind of lazy, didn't really care. And were just just kind of <laughs> just because I was having a laugh with people. Um, so I guess kind of it's kind of balancing, isn't it? This mm. professionalism that you have. And then once you build a relationship, then you kind of have mm-hmm. the freedom.
1: And to... I think I don't think you can easily teach that.
0: No, and no. and also, it's, it's, to be honest, it's quite hard to learn as well because, I mean, it's kind of awkward when you hear examples of it that you don't think are okay, that you think yeah. actually make you kind of uncomfortable. So, you know, I was recently in operating theatre during heart surgery and the main surgeon, the main anaesthetist was kind of talking about lawsuits and so on and they used really harsh language, like really shocking kind of stuff that made them laugh. But I was like, ooh, that is so borderline. Mm. I'm really not, really not sure. Mm-hmm.
2: So what did they actually say that was?
0: Uh, well, I mean, okay, so um, it's not that bad. You're going to think I'm such a straight,
2: straight-laced person. <laughs> yeah, but... We already know that, it's
0: fine. <laughs> All right, all right. But as you know, they're saying, um, you know, I'd rather get a lawsuit because if we don't get a lawsuit, that means their brains are on the floor. Okay, that's not that bad. It's just it was like a super tense situation as well, you know, with the like, with. Yeah, I don't really get it. I'm not gonna lie, I have no idea what you're talking about. I was just
3: pretending that. No, and
0: then as it was just like a really graphic way of saying that the patient, if they didn't bring a lawsuit, it it meant the patient was dead. Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: And uh, it just like was a really like graphic way to state that that I was like but I mean, exactly
1: like... this is exactly you've hit upon something I always worry about which is like what if you make a joke and it just doesn't land and sure. everyone's like and you must have had that like in <laughs> <joke, Yeah>. yeah. show <laughs> what, what are you trying to say about <laughs> this comedy well no but like it, it happens well of course right? I
3: mean this line that we're talking about is a line that professional comedians struggle with their entire career mm. you know trying to fight because it's so sensitive trying to be the right or the wrong side of that so as non-professional comedians it's kind of unsurprising that people struggle with that and yeah I don't think you can formally teach it necessarily I guess you just have to be kind of an emotionally intelligent person don't you and kind of <laughs> work navigate that path yourself <laughs> but yeah it's, it's not an exact mm. science at all Mm. and there's so many things you need to consider, really.
0: So, I mean, kind of what we're agreeing here is that there is a side to Gallo's humour where it can actually cause harm, right? That there's a darker side to it. I mean, harm to,
3: simple. who is it causing harm to?
0: Well, no, it could ha- cause harm to ourselves professionally, but also to could harm, har- to... I mean, potentially. What do you think? Could it cause harm to anyone else?
3: So I suppose the, the uh, a potential downside of using gallows humour at work if it's seen in bad taste or if it's seen as kind of trivializing or belittling or, or kind of flippant, or if it's overheard by and not by, you know, a patient, family mm. member or whatever, then you can kind of understand why they might wonder where the empathy was there. Mm. Um, so I suppose that's the downside.
0: Yeah. That's a really which... good point, actually. And, and and Brian Goldman picks up on that. Um, so should we, should we hear what he's got to say and then we can talk a bit more about yeah.
5: it? Patients and families are more savvy. They know you know they have a better idea of what good care is and what poor care is and and they are increasingly worried about what happens uh, when their loved ones are admitted to hospital and 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 so any kind of language that reveals attitudes that might uh symbolize either burnt out or compassion fatigued uh, health care providers or you know the idea that that they may be um, stereotyping patients and not taking good care of them. Anything that makes them think, hey, you know what, maybe that's the reason why my, my dad or you know, my mom didn't, didn't get the best care or, or, or had a bad outcome, then they want to know about it. So that's part of the, the issue here. But I think the other part of it is, is that there are attitudes in, in medical culture that are anti-patient And anti-family. And if you look at the dark humor and the slang that I found, I think, uh, you know, in in writing my book, I I think the vast majority of it is about patients that healthcare professionals find difficult, or either challenging or difficult. And, you know, I think the common denominator in much of that slang is a lack of empathy for patients and their families. In fact, that's why I wrote *The Power of Kindness*. I had to kind of flush the secret language of doctors completely out of my system, so that I could get to the root problem. Uh, that that you know, we're often in healthcare so wrapped up in our own stress, time pressure, you know, compassion fatigue, moral distress, computers uh, that that don't do what we want them to do, or force us to keep you know, keying in passwords, electronic health records that, that don't do what they're supposed to do. That we're so wrapped up in our own distress that we actually see patients as a problem as a nuisance part of our day you know and that's not me shaming us i i think in fact we need to address the problems that are giving rise to that lack of empathy Uh, and if we did that then we might end up having more empathy for patients
0: so one thing brian mentioned there was language that stereotypes patients or that kind of shows some kind of compassion fatigue anything come to mind um
2: yeah I remember um handing over some patients to the night team and I handed over a, a patient that came in with a paracetamol overdose and I remember just the registrar saying oh well let's get him in and out as quick as possible so you can come in and do it again and I mm. think kind of I've had experiences with people attempted suicide and stuff in like my personal life and I was like I don't know like I guess that's a prime example of compassion mm. fatigue, isn't it? Really, it's cold, isn't it? It's quite cold. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Which I mean, I'm sure that is not what this guy thinks whatsoever. Mm. Um, but I guess kind of sometimes you lose sight of, uh, of the reality of kind of what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, it was, mm. it was quite a cynical comment, isn't it? There. Mm. Yeah. How about you, Anna? Yeah, I mean that. I think that picks up on what
1: um, yeah. Brian was saying about like. I think we sometimes do use these kind of. This kind of language with patients that as a medical profession we find challenging and that's not you know that's because we don't have the right tools mm. to to help these patients as effectively as we would like in in a lot of cases i think um but that's yeah that's just like a prime example of like you know probably that patient you know we d- don't have the tools or the funding or the beds to actually help
0: them in the way that we would like to help yeah. them yeah. Um, on the most so level. Yeah. yeah on the most obvious level yeah the most obvious level it sounds like a dig <laughs> at the patient but on a level below, yeah. it's a dig at yeah. a system and a helplessness to help certain types of our patients.
3: Right? Yeah. yeah, I was thinking that personally, I think that's an example of a bad joke mm. because it doesn't really work in the sense, it sounds like it made you feel uncomfortable, it didn't make you feel better. It mm. um, sounds like it didn't really work as a joke. Did, did you see what I mean? Sounds like it yeah. didn't really resonate <laughs> yeah. with you. It f- f- felt comf- kind of uncomfortable. Fits in with maybe, a, as you say, a very hackneyed kind of stereotype about people who overdose just being time wasters, and yeah. um, which is a very old fashioned kind of medical view of view of things, isn't it? They're talking about people with personality disorders, aren't they? Which people often find very difficult to manage. They don't because there are no cures for personality yeah, disorders. Yeah. So it's often just quite chaotic behaviours that do seem like revolving doors. In a and e's, but yeah, ultimately, I would say that that joke didn't didn't work. It wasn't a good joke. Hmm.
0: In from your expertise as a comedian, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's not that funny to like joke down about mm. like, well, you know, in terms of like down, power, power of course. Yeah.
3: I suppose one of the golden rules of comedy if you ever like read about it it, it is about punching up right mm. because so generally comedians will make jokes about people in power so that yeah, be yeah. politicians or health secretaries or yeah. or whatever it is or <laughs> um, but yeah when you start hitting down on on the victims so these yeah. are be <laughs> someone with a, a rubbish life but it just kind it, of feels yeah, a bit yeah. icky and I guess it feels, yeah. it feels uncomfortable. Yeah. So a more appropriate joke, usually a joke, what I think the people you hear in AE would have been a joke hitting on the psychiatrists or their inability to help these people. <laughs> yeah. do, do you see what I mean? Because mm. psychiatrists are kind of an easier yeah. punching bag. it's
1: actually really interesting because I was speaking to someone who makes medical memes um, I don't know if I need to explain what memes are to our listeners. I'm sure you all know what memes are. <laughs> I well, I've, I had to explain to everyone in the office what memes were. okay? So, oh, my goodness. Um, anyway, good I was talking to him, and I was saying, you know, a lot of these pages, do not they're anonymous. They don't attach their names to, to the the content that they're producing, which is funny things about medicine, being a medical student or a doctor. And he said, well, I, do, I don't mind, because I only ever make fun of myself.
3: Of course. Yeah. And
1: you know some of my friends and like our experiences of of what we felt as you know medical students feeling useless standing in the corner like Mm. that's what i make jokes about so you know i i don't poke fun at patients because i don't think that's appropriate Sure, i thought that was really interesting of course
3: because whether we like it or not doctors are held in esteem as high status people by the general public so there is only really one way for us to punch and that is either. Above us or ourselves, mm. and anything below then just just comes across as nasty, as in this this person's mm. case. Yeah,
2: I do think yeah. you're all right though when you kind of say in the stresses of the healthcare system and everything else that's going down, going on does frustrate people. I mean, people with chronic pain, alcoholics, all of these people yeah. like you, you do quite often hear kind of just get them in and out, and and, mm. and it's it's yeah. fair, it's fairly common to hear.
4: Yeah,
3: and and I think you're right because because those are the patients that really bring us in contact with our helplessness and our inability to be how we want to be and to activate change. Mm. And um, those are the people we can't help and we don't really like being reminded of that as doctors, generally.
0: Mm. I mean, do any of your patients know that you're a comedian? Is that something that
3: they're they are not, not the patients I treat, but my, mm. my shows, that like my festival shows that I do in Edinburgh and stuff, they're very much kind of marketed and branded as as shows about medicine or psychiatry. Mm. And so generally my audience tend to be medical professionals or service user patients. Oh, see, yes. And um, But I don't think, I mean, my colleagues know that I do comedy, but none of my patients have mentioned it yet.
0: I mean, but do you think that would have implications for your patient-doctor relationship?
3: I I really hope not because but I guess again this this kind of is this is why it is so comedy is so sensitive it's really important to context is so important um my comedy I try to make pretty clear where it's coming from and the, as I, I use that word again the intention so the intention of doing the joke is is for a kind of is for a a well meaning uh, benefit right to try and make people more uh open up this conversation more about mental health or about certain taboo subjects or to give certain forgotten about people in society a voice right and um i think with 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 that in mind people would see that the butt of my joke they're never they're never my patients right they're either it's either hip punching me so like my own mental fragility or vulnerability or whatever it is, or the system or, 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 un, or not understanding of mental health as it, as it stands mm. because the alternative would be, I would think people wouldn't laugh if I was doing jokes like that guy's joke about they just get them in and out and then um, they can come in and do it again. That wouldn't get a laugh because that, that just doesn't work as a joke, does it? Mm. Um, but the, 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 the worry for all comedians is about their stuff getting taken out of context
0: I see, what do you mean by that? Like someone so, just taking a little clip, a little exactly, segment of Exactly, yeah. So
3: for example, like if you come see my show, you will get like, you get the, you have the blurb, you kind of know what you signed up for, you have me for an hour, so you know where it's all come from. I can pre, can set mm. up the joke with where it's all from. So an example of this is like I recently, the Royal College of Psychiatrists like um, used a bit of my comedy as some of their kind of choose psychiatry promo thing recently. They're doing this big initiative and they used one of my jokes in the in a clip of an interview Um, which was which was fine but they they basically took out the setup to the joke so on its own I worried that even that kind of looked like well why is he telling that joke like so the way they cut it up where they just showed it they showed it it's me on stage saying to an Alexa saying Alexa I feel like I want to go to sleep and never wake up and then Alexa says 8am alarm cancelled that's the joke, right? Right. And um, the joke is about it goes better usually when I do it. <laughs> <What a, laughs> <Alexa. a> <laughs> We're not the best audience, are we? <laughs> but the gag is about. But people, in isolation, people think, well, why is this guy? Is he like? Is he joke? Is he hit? Is he? Is the joke about suicidal people yeah. or who's the joke about? Yeah. Whereas the setup to the joke comes about because Matt Hancock obviously recently said he wants people to speak to Alexa before going to see their doctors. So it's kind of road testing that. Right. So he is the, clearly the butt of the joke, yeah. or the yeah, technology yeah. is the butt of the joke. Yeah, yeah. It's not the.
0: See that does make it a bit funnier. Yeah, hilarious. We didn't know whether to laugh or not. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And
3: uh, and this is like, but this is the the nuance of of comedy is so so subtle mm. and so important. So that's the worry, and that's why you hear comedians kind of every now and then in the media get angry where a line of their set. Has been just printed in a newspaper, mm, mm. like totally disregarding the other fifty-nine minutes of content, mm. um, and then that changes yeah. everything.
0: You know what? I quite, I do, I appreciate you being here. You know, as I expect guests, because I feel like actually you've thought a lot about these kind of things, and it does kind of help clarify the lines in my mind about what works and what doesn't. Well, mm. I appreciate it. Thanks.
3: That's totally yeah. fine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Declan, what do you think is going to be your main takeaway today?
2: Oh, man, are you doing this again?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, know your audience. Kind of um, make sure people who you're joking with know who you are, your morals and your principles. And, yeah, get to be part of the team before you go. All right.
0: So what you're trying to say is that when you go back to work, you're going to try and make friends?
2: Yeah, become part of the team after four months. <laughs>
0: that's wholesome. I like it. Anna, how about you? What are you going to take away? I think
1: just that it's nice to hear that people agree about the whole not punching down thing. Because mm, um, yeah. I've spoken to quite a lot of people about this recently, and mm. yeah, it's interesting. Mm. I don't consider myself very funny. I don't try and make jokes, so hopefully this will be something that won't be too much of a <laughs> and problem. That's Anna's <laughs> last episode <laughs> on <of> this podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, Benji, before we wrap up, I want to hear from you where I could watch your comedy.
3: Oh, wow. Well, uh, I've got a website, uh, www.benjiwaterstones.com, and I've got a gig list on there, so it's probably the best place to start. I thought Um, you said giggle list. (laughs) Oh, my God, I'll change my website. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so find a date there.
0: Well, uh, that concludes my time as the host of Sharp Scratch. Um, I've learnt so much. I've really appreciated learning with you guys, Declan and Anna, and also with our friends Raihan and Chidera who aren't here with us today. Um, and also from great experts like you, Benji. I've really, I've learnt so much. I've loved my time. And yeah, you will hear from me again, hopefully. But uh, but for now, <laughs> we will see. <laughs> now
1: that I'm making this, well, exactly, series. exactly. Now that Anna's in We've charge, we'll see. Help. I'll be
0: on my best behaviour. Um, so Anna, over to you. So I'm sure that all of our lovely listeners
1: would like to say a massive thank you to Laura as well um, for being so instrumental in setting up Sharp Scratch. And um, yeah, she's not going anywhere. So we're going to, we're still going to be welcoming her Aww, regularly stop it a big flirt. <laughs> as a member of the panel. Um, but yeah, that's all from us on Sharp Scratch today. So we'll be back in two weeks. And if you could subscribe or follow us wherever you get your podcasts you'll get the next episode straight to your phone. If you just can't wait that long to get more of our sweet, sweet BMJ student content, <laughs> <laughs> you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram just by searching BMJ Student. And once you finish listening to this episode, why not leave us a rating and write a review? Ryan's not with us today, but he's very enthusiastic about the reviews. Um, and it helps other students find us. And uh, it helps us too to know what you love and maybe don't like so much about Sharp Scratch. So, next time we're going to be ramping up the festivities as we talk about spending your first Christmas at work as a doctor. Until then, it's goodbye. Goodbye! Bye! Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> See you later. <laughs>